This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. He is Sean Fitz. It's the Monday after the Super Bowl, so college football, NFL, all done now. We're looking toward the 2022 kickoffs next September. Uh, Sean, fun game. Uh, one that kept you watching to the end. You can't say that for every Super Bowl. Uh, unless you gamble, uh, and then you can. Uh, but big news here was two more champions uh, out of the Penn State football program. And also the other news is you're wearing a jersey. Is it a commander's jersey? You're celebrating the day that everyone goes back to O. Really a, a banner day on the calendar year as a Washington fan. As, as a Commanders fan, this is all you can hope for. Everybody's the same. You know, draft is coming up. So, um, and also, I don't need the judgment in your voice when you mention gambling on the Super Bowl. So, other than that, yes, it's it's the reset. We got uh, a couple of weeks until spring ball starts. Penn State's uh, spring break, by the way, I believe the 6th through the 10th-ish area in March, and then they'll start after that uh, when they get back, and then the blue-white game. So, we've got a little bit of downtime here until we get actual football back. But we always, you know, we always like that uh, like that time to, to rest and recuperate and talk about uh, things like Penn State's new Super Bowl champions, Nick Scott and Grant Haley. Uh, tremendous, tremendous, uh, tremendously happy for those guys. As I mentioned at the end of the last episode, two great kids, two great representatives for them. And also throw Troy Reader in there, who was at Penn State for a short time. He gets a Super Bowl ring now. So uh, really, really happy for those guys. And you talked about this as well, uh, Haley dealing with tragedy. I mean, we, we talked about it a lot with his parents and the emotional stuff that has gone on with his family over the past few years. And, and this year, losing his father, uh, he had a pretty emotional tribute to, to his dad late last night I saw on Twitter. Um, Super Bowl champions and and did a little bit of uh, you know follow through and, and just checking on that list of, of colleges producing Super Bowl champions. And Penn State leads all Big Ten programs. They're behind only Southern Cal um, 46 champions now. Uh, that does include Chris Hogan. I know a lot of people don't like that, so I'll mention it as a caveat. Former lacrosse player here at the Nittany Lions and, and then went on and played football for Monmouth, won a couple Super Bowls. But that makes seven consecutive years now where a, a former Penn State athlete has won a Super Bowl. Uh, last couple of years, five combined, which, you know, you like to you like to see your guys earn rings. And a couple here that, that both signed with Franklin's first class at Penn State back in 2014. Scott as a running back, Haley burned red shirt and, and, and played four years and was off to the NFL and kind of took that journeyman's path to this point. And I was talking to somebody else yesterday about Nick Scott, who ended up stepping up as a starter for the postseason run for the Rams due to an injury. And he was more of a special teams and valued backup kind of guy. You know, you put together a bit of a run like that. And unfortunately, he was, you know, he was on the wrong end of a touchdown in the Super Bowl. And you never want to get caught up in, in those kind of uh, images. But Nick Scott's Super Bowl champ. He played a lot of football. I don't think he missed a snap, at least in the postseason going into the Super Bowl. And made himself some money, I'd imagine. It's, it's exciting to see because the guy who entered the league as a seventh-round pick, he was the sixth player uh, selected out of Penn State in that 2019 NFL draft. Um, I don't know if it'll be the Rams or it'll be with somebody else, but his value just went up. And, and Grant Haley, uh, you know, you can only hope for him that maybe – it, it, it pauses his, it calms his NFL career a little bit because 
when you're going practice squad to practice squad, the Giants, the Saints, the Rams, and now he's a champ. Um, you hope for for Haley, maybe this can be a more of a calmer uh, year ahead in his NFL career. Maybe he's found a new home. Uh, but the offseason will sort itself out for now. I hope these guys can take some time and bask in the moment. Yeah, and you know, no more ring chasing for those guys. They got that one out of the way. I mean, it's the highest point in uh, in your career. Um, but yeah, hopefully the paychecks keep coming for those guys. And and I mentioned Reader a little bit earlier. Not a ton of like animosity or anything. I know some Penn State fans kind of in the spot that that he left them in at linebacker, which was not great. But this wasn't a transfer that was like uh, bitter or anything like that. He he went to James Franklin. I think it was after the Tax Slayer Bowl. Um, he went to Franklin and said, "Hey, I, I just I want to go home." Um, his, his brother was about to play for Delaware. He wanted Penn state to recruit his brother, but his brother wasn't a Penn state, uh, level prospect, um, wanted to go home. His dad was, uh, you know, a, a big name there at Delaware as well. And he's like, I'm not going to, not going to Clemson. I'm not going to Ohio state. I, I just want to go home and play. And he completed his career at Delaware. And then the irony there is, is he was homesick and Penn state's not, you know, you don't get, you don't get much closer than Penn state to, to Northeast Delaware. Um, but, uh, he, he's in Los Angeles now, which is kind of the, the the humorous part, but he's getting paid for it. So I'm sure that has something, uh, you know, that that's a little bit different make him deal with the homesickness a little bit uh, better, but uh, happy for all those guys. They've always been, you know, really great to deal with, especially Nick, um, you know, who, you know, I, I didn't think would, was a guy that was going to stick in the NFL. You know, you just wasn't sure what his position position was. Was he polished enough as a safety, but uh, made it work and made it work through special teams, which is a great lesson for, for anybody that's uh, that's a prospect coming up and, and, and trying to make it because uh, special teams all, uh, you know, coaches just love to fixate on special teams. And that's, that, that's something where you can earn a roster spot or a scholarship or, or whatever have you. And, and Nick Scott, uh, the embodiment of, of one of those guys that made it happen. Yeah, before Nick Scott was a starting safety for the Nittany Lions, he was a special teams captain for this Penn State program. And, and I, I was able to hop on a call with him. I texted you and Mark uh, on Thursday night after being part of that Super Bowl Zoom call with uh, Nick Scott. And same guy that, that we were talking to three, four, five years ago before Penn State games. A uh, few times people wanted to talk about the interception off Tom Brady in round two of the playoffs. It was Brady's last interception as an NFL quarterback. And both times Nick Scott says, Happy to talk about the game ahead of us. Not really focused on looking back. Super Bowl questions uh, go all over the place, but this guy, was it, it was the one and no mentality to a T. I'm not surprised with Nick Scott. Uh, and, again, we'll see what the all-season lines ahead. Guys don't stick around uh, in one spot for a long time. But on this roster at the right moment and obviously contributed in a big way, um, Grant Haley got a lot of special teams work in the postseason. So one final congrats to those guys and uh, five Super Bowl champions out of Penn State in, in the last 13 months. Uh, that certainly is something that James Franklin will be happy to point out uh, as often as possible. And Sean, there's not a ton going on right now in terms of uh, in terms of team news. We, we caught up a bit last week about the start of, of winter workouts and uh, some early standouts that the coaching staff had pointed to, and, and some early storylines, some under the radar guys that we had talked about. We'll keep monitoring those things. Uh, I know that you're tapped into some conversations about what's happening right now as these guys are starting to emerge and evolve uh, on this roster and show what they're about uh, over this stretch of the calendar season. Uh, but you also posted your big board uh, at the end of last week after our most recent episode. It's something that I know many of our readers on the message board were clamoring for. 25 names on there for the 2023 class, each of them uncommitted, each of them in some way, shape, or form valued by this Nittany Lions staff. And you set out to kind of 
go through the order of that value uh, from Penn State's perspective and additionally uh, the the realistic scenario that a prospect is going to reciprocate that interest. Yeah, it's it's not easy because it changes so often. I changed it, you know, I changed it just before publishing it just uh, to move up a couple guys up or down. You talk to certain people say, eh, maybe not pushing as hard as this guy, maybe going a little bit after this guy. Maybe this is a guy that we think is a diamond in the rough type thing. So all over the place right there. And and if you look at the the buildup of the class, I mean, it's it's not um, you know, it's it's not a surprise that some of the spots sticking out linebacker obviously a big spot for Penn State and uh, you know defensive line is is still something that they need to address um, in this class particularly in the interior um, so I, I think it's kind of all over defense you, you take a look at the at the class so far you've got all those offensive linemen in there um, you got 14 tight ends or whatever you have right now so you're kind of focused on a couple of spots I think some some of the positions that have moved I don't want to say to the back burner because they're always recruiting these guys and they're always going after them, but running back is still very much up in the air. Of course, Trayon Webb is a guy that we're, we're watching in Florida, but he's not near a decision or anything like that. Um, that this is one where it's, it's probably kind of like that cycle with Kaziah Holmes and Kevon Lee, where it's probably not going to come into focus um, in, you know, until the spring or the summer, till the, the official visits uh, start, start racking up and things like that, because it's probably going to be somebody from out of, uh, out of the region. London Montgomery was in, you know, this, this Grant prep running back was really, really good was in for a visit a couple of weeks ago, but it, it, it's looking like, the focus is going to be trying to to wait it out, see if you can get some of those out of region guys on campus and see what happens. Kind of the same with cornerback. Um, and I know that's not really been something that we've talked about all that much on here, but um, not a ton of guys in the, in the region that are, you know, bona fide cornerbacks. A lot of guys that coming out of the, the, the COVID evaluation cycle, a lot of guys that started out as cornerbacks might turn into safeties, might even turn into linebacker. You look at a guy like Antonio Cotman down in Virginia, who's a really, really big bodied kid. Um, you know, can he turn and run? Can he, you know, have the, can, does he have the hips? Does he have the backpedal, all that kind of stuff to be a cornerback? You still have questions about that. So I think corner and running back are two positions that are kind of slower developing. Um, still an offensive lineman. Get to a, you know, a question here in the mail, in one of the mailbag questions here in a little bit. Um, still an offensive lineman, but I think defensive line is big. Quarterback, obviously, always big. How's that going to play out after signing Drew Alar and Bo Perbula in the last cycle? Uh, there's just uh, there's a, there's a lot of questions. I know Penn State's off to a very fast start and doing very well, but just a lot of questions at a couple of positions: uh, quarterback, running back, corner, being them. A lot of receivers on the board. Um, you know, a lot of linebackers on the board. So feeling pretty good there. Um, but yeah, the big board is it, it, it's apt to change. I mean, I, I looked at. Um, the one that I posted it around this time last year, and obviously evaluations were different with the COVID year and you didn't have guys on campus, but I posted 20 names. And by the time seven of those guys made decisions, I think it was they Penn state wasn't even pursuing. So a lot can change in the next couple of months. You've got camps coming up. You've got the, the camp cycle in the spring coming up where, you know, you, we talk about the under armor camps and the Nike camps and everything like that. And say, you know, shorts and t-shirts and everything like that. That's also an evaluation point for, for the staff and for, for every college staff that's out there. So interesting times coming up. We'll see how that, uh, that looks a month from now. We'll see how it looks six months from now. Cause there's going to be guys on that board that fall away. There's going to be guys that, you know, aren't even close to that board right now that, that, that end up popping up on official visits in June. So it's a fun time of year to throw it up. Uh, Penn State's off to a hot start in 2023, but there's there's still plenty of work to do. It's the first time in three years, Sean, that we're approaching March where you're looking ahead at a full 
off-season format of recruiting structure that you and I and, and everyone who follows this and works in this industry has understood that has been not the case for the last few years. Uh, so it's a great thing for the prospects. It should certainly be helpful for continuing to work on this board. And one thing I took note of here is um, I don't think it's any surprise at this point uh, or any secret at this point. Virginia, a lot of potential there for Penn State. But here in Pennsylvania on the 2023 recruiting trail, I mean, James Franklin referenced it on signing day. A big reason why he felt like that class was so successful was because they took care of business on home turf. And it was a good year for home turf recruiting. It's not always a great year to recruit in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, certainly some names popping up here on the higher uh, side of your list. What's your early read? Acknowledging full well that we've got key camps coming up, key recruiting visits coming up. Well, well, this coaching staff's going to get a chance to really evaluate these players. But where things stand in mid-February through junior seasons, what do you think about this 2023 class in the state of Pennsylvania? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 back on the upswing. Uh, last year, I think it was probably a little bit better. You had some high-end talent there, um, but it's back on the upswing. You've got guys um, that, you know, Javon Williams was a big get for Penn State. He's, I think, the number two prospect in the composite there um, uh, among among those rankings. But uh, Tamir Robinson's obviously a big one there. Phil Picciotti, um, you know, there, there, are, there are guys on there that, you know, you look at what Penn State's done in, in the state. There's 19 offers out. It used to be, if you had an offer in state, that was a good offer. You know, you were good to commit or anything like that. Penn State kind of changed course in the last year and a half, maybe two years, where you know you were probably more, that was more of an evaluation chip um, than anything. Um, so you've got 19 offers in class in this class in state, and it's not really the, the situation where they're going to be able to move on all 19 guys. I think I had five guys from Pennsylvania on that big board. Of course, they've already got a couple of guys um, in the boat, uh, you know, in the in the 2023 class, and then one in the 2024 class. So I, I think things are a little bit stronger. That 19 number is a little bit misleading, but uh, there's some there's some solid prospect. I mean, we went through a couple of years. Um, where, you know, you were offering four and five guys in state and, you know, that, that, that's something that they they've changed. And I think they've gotten a little bit more interest, um, from the other side as a result of, of being able to throw out those offers, um, earlier and, and sort of getting in the way everybody else was getting in. I mean, it's, it's very easy. You, you look at how many kids Penn state has offered in like Florida. I mean, it's very easy for to, to throw those things out like candy, um, and, and try and come around and eventually, pick and choose which ones you guys want to get on campus and which ones, you know, you might, you might uh, eventually actually offer or actually take, they got 70 offers in Florida right now. Obviously they're not taking 70 kids from Florida. So I think when, when you do that and in, in state, you, you sort of balance where you're at versus where you want to be um, with those guys. So a guy like Jameel Lyons is a very interesting case because he was a guy that they offered after camp was very good in camp last year. I think he, you know, as a, I think he's eventually an interior prospect, um, six, four, two forty, something like that. He's going to continue to grow. Um, he camped very well. He performed very well. Grades weren't great. Still can offer him because, you know, that's, that's, that's a bridge that you can cross later. And you'll see that with different evaluations. You'll see that with, with game film. You'll see that with, uh, with grades, with, uh, with athleticism, testing numbers and things like that is you can always cool on a prospect. And I know it sounds co cold hearted to do that, but you can always go the other direction. Um, this is a situation where you can throw that offer out and you keep them interested, keep them getting to campus. He came to campus in January. Um, he came for a game and now all of a sudden 
those things improve with like academics in this case, um, then all of a sudden you're in a pretty good spot to turn that corner if you want to turn that corner with the prospects. So I think it's a, I think it's the smart approach. I don't know, you know, it's is is it the most upfront and and way to go? Not necessarily, but as, you know, from speaking to people in like specifically the Philadelphia area. It's it's a bigger deal to not offer the prospect than it is to offer that prospect and then not take that prospect. I did a quick look back at that 2019 Pennsylvania class because that one particularly I remember being very scant on the Penn the State offers. Yeah, it is uh, Keaton Ellis got an offer, Joey Porter Jr., Daquan Hardy got an offer the day before the February signing day. Andre White, the linebacker out of Harrisburg, who ended up at A and M, got the offer. And yeah, there's, there's some of the other names on here that that didn't end up landing on that target list and weren't heavily pursued. Uh, Andrew Andrew Kristofik, um, I'm trying to look through here. You had uh, Aishim Young resurface. Um, you had Patrick Garwo, the running back uh, who ended up at Boston College. Um, MJ Devonshire, uh, Hayden Rucci. You know, so a lot of these names that were near the top of the list, they didn't necessarily get that Penn State offer early, late in any stage. And now you're talking about a, a, a recruiting cycle that still has essentially a full year ahead of it where you've got 15 plus offers out in the state. So, I mean, that's a stark difference, obviously, class by class. The town level will be different, but clearly the approach has evolved for Penn State. And, and just and, looking here, at Sean, at the 2023 rankings and our 24-7 sports rankings, at least, out of the top 20 players in the state of Pennsylvania for 2023, three have committed. All three of them have committed to Penn State. Yeah, yeah, doing well. If you if you look at that 2020 class, it's probably a, even a better example because uh, you had Julian Fleming, Michael Carmody, Nick Dawkins, Zariah Fisher, Dayon Hayes, Fatoma Moba, and Tyler Elsden. Just seven offers in state, but Penn State pursued all those guys, would have taken all those guys when they made decisions. So that's a little bit different in the last couple of cycles. Um, but, you know, you're kind of playing the politics game there with, you know, coaches, trainers, or whomever it may be to, to set yourself up to potentially take – I don't want to say take who you want because that's not an accurate depiction, but put yourself in position to um, to actually land some guys instead of you know dealing with. I mean, they, they dealt with the the Ashim Young. Don and I have talked about this before. They talked about or they, they've dealt with the Ashim Young fallout in Philly for a couple of years. Penn State couldn't touch that kid after everything that happened. Obviously, not going to rehash that, but. That was there were still some some hurt souls, some bitter souls on the other side of that, and that hurt them for a couple of years. So now you you can get out there, you can evaluate more, you can offer more, and you can just basically do it the way everyone else does. And there's nothing wrong with that. We'll be right back on the Lions twenty four seven podcast. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The other spot I just wanted to mention here is quarterback, and we have talked about this at some point in the last month, but 
your recruiting strategy at quarterback and, and the mindset of the recruit that's going to choose you can be different. You're going to have Mike Yersich uh, as the as the main man in that. You're going to have James Franklin involved in that dialogue, but it's a very different scenario and what those what this recruit will be following through campus uh, versus what you talked with about with Drew Aller and Bill Perbula, of course, last uh, last recruiting cycle. And I think that's probably reflected pretty well on your list because you've got to be realistic about. What is that conversation like? There's been some new offers that have gone out at quarterback. Uh, Stokes down in, in Florida looks like that classic post-Yersich offer uh, rise situation right now that we saw play out last winter with a couple guys. Um, but I think that's a, it's an important thing to note here on the target board because people are always looking for where's the QB, where's the next big QB. You'd love to stack up those five stars, but, man, is that a tough thing to do? And I think there's maybe two, three programs at most that are doing anything remotely close to that in college football these days. Yeah, and you're still evaluating. I mean, Drew uh, didn't pick up his Penn State offer until January 30th of last year. So you can still find, you know, five-star kids, if you wish. Uh, you know, you can still find um, pretty good prospects that are out there. They're still undiscovered. And that's just a, you know, it might be a tape thing. It might be a guy, you know, in, in, in last year's case, excuse me, last year's case didn't camp um, because they couldn't camp because they didn't have camps. And, um, you know, th th there's a lot of different things working into evaluations. And evaluations are always changing. I mean, there, there are guys that, like I said, that are on the big board right now that Penn State may end up choosing not to pursue and um, other schools may choose to pursue harder or, or not pursue them at all. So um, very, very interesting time in the recruiting cycle, just uh, based on an evaluation standpoint, because you're trying to get to, you know, in, in February and March, those those camps will will ramp up down in Florida. And then as the, the weather warms up, they'll, they'll start to head north. I think the um, the Elite 11 this year is is in late April or something like that in D.C. or early May in D.C. And there's an Under Armour camp in Baltimore um, in late April, I believe it is, or early April. So um, there's, a, there's a lot going on. And uh, you're kind of, uh, I don't want to say treading water at this point, but you're trying to catch all the moving pieces because guys move up the board and guys move down the board. Yeah, unlike the last couple of cycles, there'll be less room for guys to – to, I guess, point to the last season's tape as, as a reason for staying high in the rankings. And there'll be more opportunities for those camp risers who show up and, and, and kind of obliterate the competition and turn everybody's head and get a bunch of offers. Missed that a lot from the recruiting calendar the last couple of years. Hopefully that's a, that's a big part of the next few months as we cover Penn State's target board. Um, Sean, those 25 names available for our VIP subscribers uh, gave some of the, the details there, but never give away the whole thing when it's behind that paywall. So head on over to Lines 24-7 for that complete list uh, that Sean put together last week, 25 names uh, to know and, and, and ordered them as well uh, for that 2023 Penn State Big Board. Uh, we've got a big mailbag to get to because, uh, you know, quite frankly, the last few days we looked at the content that we were talking about. We thought we could lean on the audience for this episode. So uh, a few mailbag questions to get to, and one leads us right into that 2023 uh, recruiting class. And here it goes. With all the recent offensive line recruiting success, how choosy does Penn State need to be moving forward with this class in order to save room for the blue chip talent like Samson, Oak, and Lola? And what does the situation mean for someone like Antonio Tripp, who has held a Penn State crystal ball pick, um, I believe from Brian Doan and from yourself uh, for some time now? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's a situation. Do I have one in for Tripp? Uh, <laughs> I actually forgot I put that one in. Um, 
Yeah, I do, don't I? So anyway, uh, so this is a situation where you're finding yourself um, evaluating, and, and there's a hierarchy, right? There's there's tackles that you know are six seven, you know, S Samson Oak and Lola, obviously beautiful six six two ninety five. Um, tackles are going to be your priority pretty much every time. Um, you're going to try and find those big bodied guys, and if you have to make them a guard eventually, that's fine. But you, you want to have that length. So I'm looking at guys, um, you know, like Samson Oak and Lola, like Evan Link, who whom we mentioned, we we really like a lot around. Here. I'm not sure if that's uh, the first time we've said that or not, but Chase Basantis from from uh, New Jersey, Caden Proctor. I mean, this this is the time to swing big. You got four offensive linemen in the boat, four that seem pretty safe in terms of of sticking with your class. Um, but uh, you know, see if, see what you can do with Caden Proctor. He's a kid, five star kid from Iowa. The, the chances are not high there, but at the same time, you can still you know he's got a top seven. So do the math. You got five official visits. You, you know, you got a chance to to get him on campus, and, and you know the hat is on the table, as you said last. Yeah, the hat is on, on the table. That's yeah. where you want to be when you turn that corner. Um, Olas, Allen in. I'm sorry, he's he's finished, and I just completely butchered that. I, I apologize for that. Another foreign uh, prospect in Lucas Simmons, who's down in Clearwater, Florida. So you can keep those guys. I'm not saying keep them warm or anything like that, but you can still recruit those guys really hard. And um, you're going to have, like I mentioned, that hierarchy of position where offensive tackle reigns supreme. You want all the tackles that you can get. We've talked about that dozens and dozens of times. And then size is going to come into play here. Uh, the guy that you asked about, Antonio Tripp, um, you know, 6'2 and change, 6'3. He's an interior prospect. Those guys don't have the, the same kind of value. So kind of falling down the board for some of those guys uh, as we continue to um, mature through the process as we continue to run off those dates on the calendar, the smaller you are, that's, that's going to be a check against you. So, you know, if you're six, three, 200, that's a, you know, that's good size for a lineman. You can play in the NFL at, at that size, but the other coaches that are recruiting you are going to, you know, aim for the six, six guy, aim for the six, five guy, aim for the guy that has the better length. Um, so there you, you run through that hierarchy and there's guys on the board who, you know, were, Guys that we were talking about maybe last fall, like, uh, you know, Robert Sweeney's been up for a couple of, of uh, visits so far from Texas. Um, and, you know, I don't want to say Sam Pendleton because I like Sam Pendleton a lot, but uh, uh, some of those interior prospects, uh, Kobe Keenum's probably a good example from Alabama, uh, about 6'4", 300. And, you know, 6'4", is kind of the line right there. It's not a be-all, end-all by any sort, any stretch of the imagination, but you're going to want to continue to get bigger and longer. Chase Basantis is 6'5", Okunlola is 6'6", Caden Proctor is 6'7", Evan, Evan Link is 6'6", plus. So you've got so many things working against the smaller guys. And I put that in quote, cause they're 300 pounders and things like that. And then and additionally, while we're on trip here, you know, trip is a, is a guy that didn't get to play as a sophomore. So he came back and was kind of behind the eight ball. Kind of like we talked with deny Dennis Sutton, uh, no tape out there. And, you know, it takes a while to get back into the swing of things and just for timing in situations like that, that's, that's really tough to, to deal with. So um, nothing against these prospects, but Penn state is, recruiting very well in the offensive line right now so they can afford to be picky they can afford to to go after these tackles and and try and figure out who they want and don't forget you got matthias barnwell there um as well as a you know maybe a potential offensive lineman probably going to look to 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 lean to the defensive line defensive side of the ball with him as well um so yeah i think that's kind of how it goes with it it's it's unfortunate but you see that every year we we didn't see malik mcneil as a as a big target um, for Penn State until later in the spring. Andre Roy was kind of the same way. But as we continue to move through the cycle, you gravitate toward those bigger guys, you gravitate toward those longer guys because that's what's, you know, that's that that's where you think you can 
work your developmental magic. The more selective you can be on the recruiting trail and, pu and pull that off, that approach off, the better. And, and right now you got to be selective. Half of this class, uh, eight commits, at least half of this class, because you mentioned Barnwell is an offensive lineman. So, yeah, you, you, it's going to be really uh, pretty fascinating to see who they're able to line up for some of the official visits. Um, I imagine a lot of those bigger names that we discussed, uh, you know, Proctor for one, um, these are guys that are going to try to lock things in April, May, June. Usually you don't necessarily see that five-star high-level offensive lineman, uh, you know, last that long into his senior season. We've seen it happen before, but a lot of those things, things tend, tend to shape, take shape during the offseason. And, and Sean, when I when you kind of review this mailbag, uh, there were a bunch more coming our way on recruiting, but I wanted to kind of sh shift focus a little bit uh, with this one. And, and it's about some of the older players on the roster. It says there has been a lot of focus on Penn State's young talent after the recent recruiting success. But which older players do you expect to take a step forward this year? Um, we talked about under the radar guys last week, and I think that was a lot of second, third year kind of players. Um, older talent. Uh, the one guy that kind of jumped into my mind here, Sean, was Nick Tarburton. Um, he's a player that I thought, all things considered, when you kind of envisioned what his 2021 might look like, Thought he probably exceeded expectations with his not just his availability, but his impact in, in, in certain situations. Now he wasn't a full-time rep starter, uh, you know, throughout the season. He had Arnold Evicata, he had Jesse Lucetta there. Did not have Adiza Isaac though, of course. And and those were meaningful snaps that he started to accrue. I thought he held up well. I thought he started to really be able to emerge as as the kind of leader that maybe he wasn't able to become early in his Nittany Lions career because so much of it was happening from the sideline. I think they're going to need a presence like that on the defensive front, even with P.J. Mustafer coming back. Um, I may have another name for you in a second, but but he's a guy that, for me, going into year number five and having so much of his, his early Nittany Lions time be a bit of a wash, really excited for Nick Tarburn, and I'm sure the coaching staff is as well. Yeah, and, and I think that you look at the roster these days and older guys sort of carries a different meaning because yeah. if you've been around for a couple of years and you haven't broken through in the age of the portal, you're pretty much gone. So um, I think that's a very interesting way to look at it. Um, Tarburton obviously has been around and has really dealt with some injuries. Um, not a ton really jump out. Keaton Ellis is a really interesting one because he's got a chance to start because he's got a chance to, you know, we, we saw some flashes early in his career. Then he made the position switch. And, you know, we've seen guys that, that have made that position switch and thrived. And we've seen guys that have made that position switch and it hasn't stuck. So, um, in terms of taking a step forward, being a breakthrough, it's a lot of that's going to depend on his battle with Jalen Reed at that other safety spot who we mentioned last week, we, or, whenever it was, we always mention it. We really like Jalen Reed as a potential starter at safety there. So um, Keaton Ellis is going to be an interesting one. I don't think you can throw Daquan Hardy in this mix because he, you know, he is a little older, but he has been a guy that's, that, that stood out for a while. Um, probably a guy that, you know, you wouldn't think of in this, in this, uh, in this light, but Brenton strange, um, you know, he's that's exactly who I was going through next, man. Good. I'm exactly. glad I took it from you yeah. because, uh, there's, <laughs> like I said, there's not a lot form. of choices out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, Brenton strange, what, what a mystery he was this year, you know, had a couple of drops and kind of faded away and Penn state got all three tight ends involved and really seemed to like, uh, especially Tyler Warren going down the stretch, uh, getting the ball in his hands. But, uh, Brenton strange, I think is a good football player. Um, I think, 
you know, he, he took a step back this year, but I think it is a guy that could probably turn things around and, and make some things happen. I still think there's a lot of talent in that tight end room. They haven't used them and he, and they haven't, you know, on the flip side of that, they haven't really stepped up and, and been the guys that, that they wanted them to be. And you, know, you remember James Franklin standing there on the field of Beaver stadium before the game, talking about how it's the best group he's ever been around or best group in 26 years or, or what have you. Um, but uh, they certainly didn't uh, live up to their end of the, the expectations either. So, I think that's a, that's a big question mark. Tight end, you know, has talent, but are they going to utilize talent? Are those guys going to step up and, and be those next level guys? I know we've talked about Theo Johnson quite a bit as a potential star, but uh, number one, you got to get him the ball. Number two, they, they got to make do with it. And, and a couple of those early drops, I think really stuck with uh, strange through the year um, and really kind of went away as a, as a primary target. One other name here. I guess there's a few because there's not many left from that 2018 class, but a couple here. I know people have been waiting for Charlie Catch here to be a name that, that we reference more often, that the coaching staff references more often, that is more involved in that competition. We've talked about the lack of, of, of you know, experienced scholarship players in key areas in the linebacker room right now and, and what that's going to look like and, and mean for spring ball and for this depth chart. He's a name out of that 2018 class. And then Jake Pinnegar, still around. I know a lot of people just assumed maybe he left the program because Jordan Stout took over last year. If you were paying attention, he actually resurfaced as the place kicker for this team late in the season. Was not a good outing down in Tampa uh, for, for his first for his first field goal back in, in that job. But um, he's a guy who's going to compete against Sanders to Haydack. I, I guess he doesn't necessarily fit in this because I don't know if he'll take that step forward. But he's an older guy. And, there, again, there's not a ton of them left that we probably should be paying attention to because they're, you know, the place kicker was a bit of adventure last year for as consistent as the punting game was. And I don't think this team is going to have a, a margin for error in 2021, 2022, where whether it's a Haydack or it's Pinnegar, you can afford an adventure and you really shouldn't considering what you've gotten those two guys. Uh, but Pinnegar is a name that I kind of keep forgetting on the peripheral a little bit. And then I'm reminded that, well, he's here, and you know he could be an important component for this team. And I guess if Sahadak beats him out, then then you can pretty much say, well, that's the end of Jake Pinniger here on campus. But he's he's a guy that, considering the amount of football he played and the career points he has, um, he kind of falls in line with this with this question because he, personally, he needs to take a step forward uh, to to bounce back and give himself a shot for for moving ahead with his career. Also, there's guys on this list that don't feel like older guys, but Devon Ellis is listed as a redshirt junior. I would yeah. have gotten that bet wrong. I would have thought he was still a redshirt sophomore. Um, you, you've got other guys. If you're a Penn State fan and, and you want to to will an answer into uh, into existence, Caden Wallace is the guy that you want to take a step forward this year. You need to take a step forward this year. Um, he's a redshirt junior as well. So there's a lot of guys that that need it. And unfortunately, you know, it keeps coming back to the offensive line for us this offseason. And, and I don't know that there's a ton of guys that you can look to as veteran guys that, you know, could take that step and, and fill that gap. All right. Veteran guys doesn't get more veteran than the centerpiece of our final question. We went with three mailbag questions today. We appreciate you sending them our way. Continue to do so uh, on Apple Podcasts. Drop your five-star reading and review. Hop into the five-star mailbag. Sean, not counting injury. What would it take for Sean Clifford to end up on the sideline next season? 
I, I don't like this question. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going it, to, I think it would be bad. I mean, you're not going to want to hear that, that he's going to have uh, or the job taken from him in camp or anything like that. Cause I don't, I don't see that one happening, especially going on the road against a big 10 opponent to open the season. So yeah, it would take, it would take, uh, I don't want to say a complete implosion because you, you've got less slack or uh, he's got less line to work with this year because of who's behind him. You got a little bit of experience in Bayou and you got some talent uh, in, in Aller and, and, and Prabula. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to take uh, some poor performances, stringing some poor performances together and and just not looking comfortable. I mean, obviously, last year, his first year in a new offense and uh, uh, well, his third straight year in a new or in a different offense. So um, you, maybe you give him a little leeway last year. But I mean, he wasn't half bad over the first half of the season. Then he took that hit against Iowa and all bets were off. So you got to see which Clifford is out there. And I, I, I this is not a scenario that I see him being pulled uh, because of, you know, he throws a couple incompletions in a row or something like that. I think it would take something uh, fairly drastic for that hap- to happen in game. And, and, you know, injury aside, you know, Clifford has, has been banged up at times in his, in, in his career. And you certainly don't wish that on anybody, but injuries are a, a real factor here. And luckily Penn state as a room is in, in a better position to deal with it this year than they were uh, last year. And even when injuries have been a factor, going back to McSorley, Franklin hasn't always made the decision to go with the next guy and, 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 and put him in the lineup. And in fact, performance-based benchings, the only one I can think of with the Franklin tenure is uh, on the road at Nebraska as Penn State stumbled its way to another loss. Benching Clifford, they played Iowa at home the next week last uh, in 2020, and, and Will Levis was the guy for one half. And <laughs> yeah. bench Levis. So that didn't last long. So there isn't any kind of track record here. We've talked about that fiercely loyal tag that goes on to Franklin, the, the way he handles some things, and he, he says it himself, and, and he doesn't want to shake his quarterback's confidence. But we're at the stage now where Sean Clifford's 24 years old before kickoff, and you cannot live and die by the what Sean, what version of Sean Clifford will we get this Saturday mantra. I agree. Um, yeah. The question there is, uh, unlike last year, do you assess the practice field and say, that guy can get can can do it better than Sean. That guy might be able to do it better than Sean because clearly, when they looked around the practice field, they did not find they that. that. Yeah, and they didn't really have that in 2020 either. And Will Levis is now in Kentucky doing what he did, but I don't think that's how he was evaluated by this coaching staff either. Do they have that guy? Does he emerge in the spring? Does he emerge in August? Does he emerge in September? Because that's the other part of this. Does the staff realize that even if Sean Clifford's out there playing good football and he's it's not it's not like a it's not really bad Sean Clifford, maybe it's not the greatest Sean Clifford that we've seen, but it, it's 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 not benchable Sean Clifford. But if you've got a young quarterback on the practice field in your scrimmages doing things that maybe Sean Clifford isn't capable of and there's a different kind of ceiling in place there. How much are you willing to open that door? Because that's the other side of the equation where someone just comes up and pushes for that job rather than Sean Clifford falling back and losing the job. That's the side of the coin that I think it's just very hard to project at this point. And I'm curious about how the staff will truly evaluate that and if they'd be willing to make that kind of a proactive move before Sean Clifford were to give them a reason to to get the hook. Yeah, that's that's only really happened once. And that was an injury. You know, that's when Sean Clifford got the job from Tommy Stevens, who missed that spring. And then Clifford came out and, you know, sort of performed well enough to to be named. I don't know if he was named the starter at the end of the spring or what the deal was. But uh, yeah, that's a week before the opener. But we I think we all knew it was coming. Yeah, right. Right. OK, so that's that that's a difficult look. And, um, you know, Clifford is expected to be out there playing. So it's it's a little bit different situation than Tommy, who was in a boot uh, that spring. So, yeah, man, um, the, the question is 
not what we think. Uh, it's what <laughs> what do we think that they think, and that's uh, that's a dangerous game when you're trying to play in a in a college football coach's head, especially one that's been around and been loyal and been comfortable. I th- I think loyalty is probably the wrong word. I think come you know the comfort level is more of a thing when you when you throw him out there and you know what he's going to ex- or you know what to expect and you think you know what he's going to do. Um, I think that's probably a little bit more, a little bit higher than uh, than loyalty in this situation. Something that, as referenced before, we'll be keeping tabs on day by day by day and month by month uh, as this year goes on, that quarterback room. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks again for all the mailbag support. Sean with the quick change, lifelong commanders uh, fan showing up the jersey, all NFL teams back to ONO today. Congrats again to Haley and Scott for those uh, championship rings that are coming their way in the next couple of months. Thanks to our producer, Lance Glenn. We'll be back with another episode later this week. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast.